Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome back once again. And it's so exciting to be with you on this New Year's Day in the morning. Uh, If it is the morning for you, that is, because you could watch this basically whenever you want. But I hope that the last week has been full of wonderful times for you and your family, uh, that the holidays have treated you well. More than anything, I am excited to kick off a new year together as a church family. So if you've been making your resolutions, whatever you've been praying into, whatever you're hoping to see Uh, the Lord change and move in your life, I know this, God is on the move and we want to move with him. Amen. So today I want to spend just a few minutes drawing our attention back to just an absolutely massive moment in the gospel of Luke. And I pray that this will stir your heart with excitement, will challenge you, will get you thinking uh, far beyond 2023 even. You know, Luke gave us such a clear and and complete view of the Christmas story. He gives us one of the longest accounts of Christmas And then the good doctor, with all of his precision, sets out to tell us how Jesus launched into his ministry. And I want to look at this together. He makes it abundantly clear, Luke that is, that God in the Holy Spirit was orchestrating every single moment of Jesus' ministry. So you saw that a bit in the Christmas story. But after the Christmas story, Luke gives us a picture of Jesus at his baptism with the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then it's the Spirit that leads Jesus into the wilderness to face the testing in the desert. And when Jesus returned from that experience, he returns full of the power of the Spirit, we see in Luke chapter 4, ready to begin his public ministry in a powerful way, controversial way. There's nothing like fixing our eyes on Jesus as we begin a new year. So let's get into the Word together, and then we'll pray if you want to turn in your Bibles with me, if you have it with me. Uh, It's Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. And then we'll stop there for a minute says this, Luke chapter 4, 16 to 21. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. I'm going to stop there. Let's pray together and let's dig into the word. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you came to usher in the time of the Lord's favor. We thank you that you are the one who sets the oppressed free, that you free us all from our bondage, Lord, and that you continually want to bring freedom, forgiveness, peace into our lives, into our hearts. We pray that this year, as we launch into a new year, we would see an abundance of your favor like never before. And I thank you for this church family. I pray that you be with them where Wherever they are, wherever they're watching this from, or for guests where they're watching it from, would you let this word just sit in their hearts, settle in their spirits, and lift them up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus is back in his boyhood home, Luke tells us. He says things like, as usual, he went to the synagogue, the place he knew well, where he worshipped often. 
where everyone knew him. And he reads to them a beautiful, well-known prophetic passage. But then he shocks everyone. As he sits down to teach them, he says the unthinkable. You can almost hear the sharp intake of breath. Luke says every eye was fixed upon him. And then he drops that little line, today, this day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Suffice it to say, they weren't actually happy about what Jesus was claiming in this moment. You can read on in the story in Luke chapter 4 for yourself, but I want to focus on really what Jesus is saying here. What exactly is he saying he came to usher in? I want to tell you, this is a passage worth meditating on. This is a, a purpose statement from Jesus the Messiah. Maybe you could take some time and just ponder what these things really truly mean. Jesus is quoting from the scroll of Isaiah, from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, as we know it. And in this final section of Isaiah, the prophet foretells a future for all mankind to be reunited in God's presence through the work of the Holy Spirit and the Messiah. Jesus ends the passage abruptly. He lets the words linger in the air. Stopping at this idea, the year of the Lord's favor, or as some translations say, the time of the Lord's favor. I'll tell you what, the year of the Lord's favor sounds like an amazing title for 2023, right? Anybody want to claim that promise? I know I do. You know, I've learned something in my many, many years on earth here. I've learned that there is absolutely no substitute in our lives for the favor of God. See, you can do everything right. You can work harder than anyone. You can even get a little lucky along the way. But nothing, nothing will propel your life into fullness like the favor of God. I've seen it. I've been blessed in ways that I could never have dreamed and definitely never earned over and over again. And I have to just simply say, wow, the favor of God is incredible. It's incredible. So let me encourage you as 2023 kicks off and we all resolve things like do better, right? You know, eat better, manage our time better. We have these resolutions we make, whatever it may be for you. I just want to say, above all priorities here, do whatever you can to get alone with God, to make him your priority and seek his face, ask for his favor, because it will do more in your life than all of our hard work could ever do. Jesus in this moment through the prophet Isaiah, he speaks of the year of the Lord's favor, a season of blessing and celebration and renewal. And he boldly claims that the time has come because, well, because he has come. Now, this moment, it's kind of like the scriptural version of the movie Inception. I don't know if you've seen it, but I love the movie Inception. And it's, it's famous for that idea of like a dream within a dream within a dream. If you know the movie, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you're completely in the dark. A dream within a dream within a dream. Well, this is like a scripture within a scripture within a scripture. You've got Jesus as shown by the book of Luke, but he's reading from the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah, who is in turn echoing the law of Moses. The year of the Lord's favor. This is a reference to a routine that God declared for the people in the covenant he made with them at Sinai. In Leviticus chapter 25, it's called the Jubilee Year. Maybe you've heard of a Jubilee before. I lived in England for a while during the time of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. And it you know, really first got me considering, what, what is a Jubilee? What does this mean? And what does the scripture say about a Jubilee? You know, a Jubilee Year is a milestone. It is a celebratory year, a time 
to proclaim freedom throughout the land, to celebrate. Every 50th year in the Jewish tradition, they would sound the ram's horn and some incredible things would happen. Unbelievable things. Unthinkable things would happen. I want to focus on three things from the Jubilee, from the year of the Lord's favor. Number one, freedom for those who are in captivity, for slaves and servants. Number two, forgiveness of debts. And number three, a great big homecoming. Jesus, in proclaiming that the time is now, that this is the year of the Lord's favor, the Jubilee had come, he was declaring these three things. But in so much more than any Jubilee year had ever brought to them before. So let's dive into these three things together. Number one, freedom. Throughout the word of God, we see that God gives his people practices, habits to observe, often in cycles. We see it, whether it's, you know, the annual feast that they observed, daily habits or more. And when God gives these to people, it's not because he's overbearing and wants to micromanage our lives and say, well, do this, then do this, then do this. He gives them rhythms of renewal, rhythms of renewal. God's intention is to see us renewed, revitalized in his presence. So I want to just challenge you as we work through this. Think for me. Think with me. What rhythms of renewal do you need to cultivate in your life? God still invites us into rhythms of renewal for our good. What rhythms do you need to cultivate? What God-ordained practices from the word can you adopt and observe in your life to create space for his intentions to come to pass for you? Again, these are not heavy-handed shackles to cramp our style. The practices God hands down to us, they're a gift from God because he knows us. He knows we're creatures of habit. He knows our patterns. He knows how he made us. He understands us on a level we could never understand ourselves. Take the Sabbath, for instance. Jesus said this, the Sabbath was made for man, given to man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath is a rhythm that is healthy and holy for us to observe. And God tells the people to observe the Sabbath many times in scripture, but he gives them two distinct reasons to do so as he talks to them. First, he says, you will observe the Sabbath because I made you in my image and as I rest, you rest. Secondly, he says this, observe the Sabbath because you are no longer slaves. You are no longer slaves. This rhythm, Sabbath, and all that it echoes, it teaches us to rest in what he has already done for us. It's a rhythm that brings freedom and life, health and wholeness back to us in a world that is full of work, full of challenge. See, when he said that to them, you observe the Sabbath because you're no longer slaves. You know, slaves don't get a day off. When they were slaves in Egypt, they didn't get a time of rest. So practicing the Sabbath was a form of protest against the things that, you know, still want to monopolize our time in our lives. Some people never, ever know how to rest. It's a declaration that, you know what? No, I am not a slave. I am not a computer. I'm free in him. In Leviticus, we see God declare not only a weekly Sabbath routine for them as an act of freedom, but every seventh year, God sets apart as a Sabbath year where they're not even supposed to plant crops. And he promises, trust me, I will supply for you. In fact, I'm not just going to supply a normal amount of crops. I'm going to triple it for you. Miraculously, I'll provide for you. The Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, was the culmination of seven sets of these seven Sabbath years. And it places an incredible focus on freedom for us. Isaiah makes it clear 
as he speaks in this passage and as Jesus quoted him, he makes it clear just how much God longs to see all of humanity set free from those things that keep us in bondage. His heart is for us to step into eternal freedom with him. So number one, the Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor is all about freedom. Number two, it's about forgiveness. A few years ago, I had this unpleasant experience and I apologize for bringing this up on the first of the year, but I began to dread an incoming tax bill. I I knew that I was going to owe. I had gotten the notice. It was local tax, not kind of federal tax, but I was going to owe a good chunk of money. And I knew this was coming. So I reached out to them and I had just noticed that they sent this to the wrong place, that I had moved um, and I just needed to correct it. And I told them I moved two years ago and as they began to calculate things and how that adjusted things, they informed me that the village I live in and the township that I work in were not taxable municipalities. And then they did something crazy that you'll, I don't think will ever happen again for me. They canceled the debt. They canceled the current debt that I had received the bill for and they actually paid back two more years that I had already paid them. There's nothing like the Lord's favor, right? I cannot believe uh, that that happened. I still can't believe that happened. The sinking feeling of dread, knowing that I owed, was gone. Debt forgiven, paid in full. Incredible. The Jubilee was a time where moments like that would happen all over the place. Debts were forgiven. It was declared that if a debt was outstanding in the Jubilee year, it would be forgiven. Can you imagine what that would look like in today's society? If all the mortgages were just like, oh, yep, nope, you just own the house now. That would be pretty crazy. But as crazy and revolutionary as that sounds, it pales in comparison to what God has in mind. He shows us in Christ something so much greater. It's not just forgiveness of material debt, of temporal things. It's forgiveness of sin, of offenses we've created, of rebellion in our hearts against him. It's a kind of healing that our world knows nothing about, but longs for so deeply. In reality, every single one of us has brokenness that we contend with. We're all desperately in need of forgiveness that we could never earn. Jesus came so that that could be possible in your life and in my life for forgiveness of the ultimate debt, the one we could never pay back. And as David wrote in Psalm 32, verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. There's nothing like forgiveness. And the Jubilee year, the time of the Lord's favor, is a time of incredible forgiveness that we can't even imagine. Number three, it's a time of homecoming. You know, having just gone through Christmas, we sing about, I'll be home for Christmas. We long for all the family to be near we, we have fresh feelings in our minds right now about what homecomings mean for us. For some reason, maybe it's because I have a four-year-old, when I think about the concept of home, I hear the words of Pumbaa from The Lion King. Home is where the rump rests. But really, God's idea is about something so much bigger. God's concept of home for you and me is something so much greater than just being together again. It's repeated in the passage in Leviticus 25. This idea of returning home, returning to the place where we belong, where we are part of the family, where we find rest, not just for our rumps, we find rest for our souls in that place. And as believers, the concept of home in scripture that we see is something so much grander than we can even wrap our minds around. Yes, we have earthly homes, 
We have dwelling places that carry deep meaning because as human beings, we impart meaning to them. They become more meaningful for us. But there is an ultimate home for you and for me that our hearts long for. And it's not found in a place. It's not found in a a dwelling. It's found in a person. It's found in the presence of creator God himself that we were made to be in. Jesus proclaimed that his arrival kicked off the ultimate jubilee. He said in no uncertain terms, he is the very presence of God among us. He is the one we've been waiting for. That feeling of home that our hearts long for, that we're restless until we find it in him. As as Augustine said, you know what? He is doing that in our midst. They expected him when he stood up that day and read from the scroll of Isaiah. They expected him to teach, to become that you know, moral teacher, but Jesus was so much more than just another teacher, another rabbi. Like people in our day, we like to think about, oh yeah, Jesus, some good ideas there, some beautiful things he taught, right? No, 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 Jesus is far more than that. I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, the idea of a great moral teacher saying what Christ said in this moment is out of the question. In my opinion, he says, the only person who can say that sort of thing is either God or a complete lunatic suffering from that sort of delusion which undermines the whole mind of man. If you think you're a poached egg when you're looking at a piece of toast to suit you, you may be sane. But if you think you are God, there's no chance for you. He was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval of, oh, it's nice, Jesus said some good things. That, that never happened with anybody who actually encountered the Lord Jesus. And it shouldn't any longer either. In this passage, Jesus makes it clear, as the Messiah steps into our midst, there isn't just a middle ground of, that's a nice thought, I'll apply that, but you know, I don't like that other stuff from you, Jesus. They reacted in different ways to the Messiah, and so do we. But freedom forgiveness, homecoming. These things, they had natural realities that the Jubilee year would bring into pass. They had physical, tangible, material sides that Leviticus describes for the people and were practiced by the people. But Jesus said that he came to show them the real thing to which these temporal realities point. The spiritual reality, the full depth of the favor of God for people. Not just debt forgiveness, but forgiveness from sin, total forgiveness. Not just freedom for the captives, but freedom, true freedom from anything that could ever enslave us or hold us. And not only a return to an ancestral home, but a return to the true home we were made for in his presence. In that day, as Jesus stood up, they couldn't hear it. They had too many obstacles in their mind. They knew him, Joseph's son. They couldn't accept what he was saying. And that raises the question for you and me. What are we going to do with Jesus in this moment? Because he's not just a moral teacher. He's claiming to be so much more. And I believe with all my heart that God is calling to you right now, revealing to you the depth of what he offers in Jesus Christ. As he says to you, come follow me. But we all have a choice, don't we? We have A choice to accept that invitation, and it's an everyday choice, not a one-time choice. It's a choice when we wake in the morning, are we going to press in and let him be Lord of our lives? 
If we're going to step into what he has in mind, Jesus promises to us that that kind of life he promises is drenched in the favor of God. It's not the easy way. It's definitely not the popular way, but it will be drenched in the favor of God. Every season can be full of God's favor when we are in Christ. So what does it look like for you and me to step into a year of the Lord's favor, to take hold of the life that he wants to offer us, longs to see us living out? Can you Do you have a vision for that? Can you envision what life with him in this way would look like? Can you dream for it? Not just for 2023, but for all of your life. I want to get practical for just a couple of minutes with these three things. Number one, with the idea of home, you know, he offers to us the return to our true home, life in his presence. The way that we lay hold of this, take hold of this, is by seeking his presence. That's what we can do. His promise to us is this in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So we need to learn again to seek him with all of our heart, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Practically, what that means is we need to prioritize time in his presence. We need to make space in our busy lives for Jesus. Maybe more practically, we need to recognize that you cannot microwave Spiritual things like Dr. Ogan Leslie tells us. You cannot microwave time with God. It takes time. You know, for me to set aside a random hour and say, you know, I'm not going to do anything else in that hour. I'm just going to seek God. You know what's going to happen to me? My task list, my agenda, all those things I haven't done yet, they're going to come flooding into my mind. It can't just be a set time, one time. It needs to become a rhythm of renewal for us, an ongoing, dedicated priority for us the first thing on our daily agenda, to seek him, to seek his presence, because that's our home. Jesus said it in Revelation. He said, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Will you open it to me? I'm ready to come in, but you've got to open that door. And if you do, I will come in and we will dine together. I will come in and we'll make this your home. Number two, he offers us forgiveness and we need to accept that forgiveness. The kind of forgiveness he offers us is total forgiveness that we could never earn and we honestly can't fully imagine. Practically, our step is to accept that. Some of us have a problem with this because we can't forgive ourselves. There's a lot of things where I struggle with that. We can't forgive ourselves. We know exactly where we screwed up. We know all of our broken places. Too much to let go of it, to let ourselves have a break. But here's the thing. If God, the God of the universe, if his intention is to forgive you, you just need to get out of his way. You need to recognize that if he can forgive you, that you can forgive yourself. And we can't accept forgiveness as well if we don't recognize we've done something wrong. This is a reality. Have you ever tried to forgive somebody who doesn't accept that they did anything wrong? It doesn't go very well. If anything, you go up to them and say, hey man, I forgive you for that. And they go, well, who are you? What do you mean? I didn't do anything wrong. It's terrible. And, you know, we need to recognize that for ourselves as well. Jesus is extending to us the most incredible, complete, total forgiveness. But we have to recognize our brokenness. We have to search our hearts and come to that place of repentance. Where we know that, you know, this is what I am without him. And I am desperate for his presence. This is a place where we see clearly the weight of all our sin that separates us from home in him. And we would do anything to make it right. That's where we encounter the unspeakable miracle that salvation is. 
again and again. Daily, we see that his mercy is so fresh, so new every morning when we know how truly and deeply we are forgiven. And when we encounter that kind of mercy, that incredible forgiveness, you know what it does? It turns us into people who can practice forgiveness, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. It makes us proactive in forgiving those people in our lives, maybe that have hurt us, that have done something against us. We don't become people who hold on to bitterness, but we become people who can walk free of those things. What does that mean? It means resting in the forgiveness, accepting, trusting, having faith that he has done for me what I could never do for myself. That kicks off a jubilee. It kicks off a time of the Lord's favor. It doesn't mean that the banks all of a sudden start writing off mortgages, although that'd be nice, but that all the hostility and the wars that we see around us in the spiritual realm, they're going to keep going on, but we fight them differently. You know, forgiveness for believers is a weapon. Forgiveness is something we wield against the darkness around us. We're going to touch a lot more on this when we dive into Romans 12 soon, I promise you. But for now, suffice it to say, Jesus longs for you to experience the deepest forgiveness you could ever imagine, for you to learn how to forgive yourself, and for you to become an agent of his reconciliation and forgiveness to others. But we've got to accept it. We've got to trust that what he's done for us is enough. That when he said on the cross, it is finished, it is finished. Finally, learning to live free. He offers us incredible freedom. A life without all the old chains of bondage that we've grown accustomed to. You know, I don't know what things maybe have held you captive in your life. But I promise, Jesus wants to end them forever their hold on you. He wants to strip it away. All those things that want to hold you back, he wants to do away with right now. So I say this to you, trust him for it. Trust him for it and walk in the freedom of the spirit today. Paul, throughout the entire New Testament, he's constantly calling believers to walk in this freedom, to say, don't go back to slavery. Why does he have to keep doing this with the church in Rome and the church in Corinth and over and over again? Why does he have to do this? Well, here's the funny thing about us as human beings. Sometimes we like those old chains. They're comfortable. We know them. You know, there's the saying, it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't know, right? And it's just, hey, you know what? I can deal with that. I can make do with that existence. Jesus does not want you to live in the ordinary routine or the comforts even that we've grown accustomed to. It's like we have spiritual Stockholm syndrome where we all of a sudden are are affectionate of the things that hold us in captivity. Jesus wants to set us free completely so that we can learn to live freely and lightly again. You know, our routines, our, our habits, even our addictions, those things are, new, are not new to us. We're used to them. We make excuses so often instead of making changes. We shift the blame. You know, we'll do almost anything to get out of, you know, making change in our lives. We'll do almost anything instead of letting go, giving those things over to God. But once again, Jesus is knocking. He's standing right there, ready, waiting, hoping for you. And as he said to that man trying to get in the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, I'm right here. Do you want to be well? I'm right here. I'm everything you need. Do you want to be well? And like Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to any yoke of slavery. When we choose to find home in his presence, when we marvel at the miracle of his forgiveness 
and invite the Spirit to lead and empower us into the freedom he offers us from anything that could hold us back. Well, that's God's intention for us. As we kick off this new year, we want to share Holy Communion together. We want to celebrate what Christ has done for us. And don't worry, we'll share it again together, all together next week in person. Freedom, forgiveness, and home. You know, these are three things that communion points to as well. The way that we can be renewed because Jesus is the way for us. He offers to us total freedom from any bondage and all bondage. He forgives sin, though we can never earn it. And what does Jesus say to his disciples when he gives them the tradition of Holy Communion? I can't wait to do this again with you in person. He gives us a seat at his table where one day he looks forward to sharing the meal of communion with us. So let's take a moment to invite the Lord to renew us, refresh us. Let's set our hearts on him. Let's proclaim with Jesus a year of the Lord's favor in this new year. In other words, let's dream together for 2023. It's not just about the physical things we want to see happen, the temporary things, the material needs. You know, our Father knows every single one of those things, cares more deeply than we can imagine about those things. But let's dream for a 2023 where we experience the favor of God like never before. I want to invite you to grab those elements and receive them together in your home, knowing that you're not alone in your home, but we are with you all across our city, all across our land. And we are all looking forward to that same family table because we are the family of God together. First, I want to ask you to allow me to pray that ancient prayer of blessing over you found in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with his favor upon you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you soon. Let's get ready for an amazing year together. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.